0: Hey how you doing now before we get into this amazing conversation I just want to give you a heads up now approximately 12 minutes into this episode, after this intro you're gonna hear my guest talk about conversation she overheard and it involves the passing of an infant now that could be triggering for a lot of people. And if I'd heard this conversation without any prior warning, it would have made me feel some sort of way. So you've got a couple of options. One, skip the episode entirely and catch on the next one. Or go back and listen to them in the back catalogue. Or you could just skip maybe the next 60 to 120 seconds after the 12 minutes part. And there is no reference drawn back to that situation itself. But it is quite, it's a lot. What was said was not said in malice or anything like that. If anyone knows me and my guests, you know that's not what we do. But it just draws reference to a point that helped her decide what career path she wanted to go on and why. Just a friendly trigger warning. All right, take it easy. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. I was
1: engaged to my partner. I wasn't married. And one of the partners in the firm was aware of this. I was working just a little bit late. There was another employee in the room with me, and he came in to drop off some papers that he had signed. And he said to me, Are your parents happy that you're rearing a bastard? Matt. Here I am with my pregnant belly. And I was like, What? And he said, Are your parents happy that you're rearing a bastard? And I just I just started to see. How I was going to be treated from there on in. Every
0: Podcast. Every Podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax, or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everyone to another episode of Every L Podcast where each episode we have a different guest come on and talk about situations that they've experienced and they talk us through that situation as if they were still there and how it felt. Now, the important things about these situations is that it's a time when it wasn't necessarily a high. It was something that was more challenging. It was maybe an opportunity miss or it was a questionable decision they made. And going through it, they'll explain what they've, what they've maybe gained from it, what they felt going through it, what support they had. And the reason why I like having these type of conversation is because I understand everyone has a story. Everyone has something they've endured and had to overcome. And a lot of the topics seem to be taboo because social media and society will make you feel like the only things worth talking about are things where it's considered a win. You know, I've gone to Dubai t- seven times in the last two months. Uh, I've gone to the Grand Prix or I've got this watch, I've got this car, I've got whatever. But sometimes it's not always about those necessarily being just the wins to celebrate. Sometimes you need to take a step back to take some several steps forward. And I just want to highlight those stories. And I'm so grateful to all my guests that come on and share what they share because they owe me nothing to do so. But I like to give them a platform and a voice to sort of share what they want to share. As as you guys always know, I'm going to say I have a fantastic guest and really and truly I do only kind of have guests on that I feel I get on with and I feel that they've got something I'll happily want to talk about. And this individual I've known for a few years now, actually, she's an amazing human being in terms of what she does. Very selfless. Yes. It's easy for her to just crack on, do things for herself and her, you know, just for her personal benefits and uh, whatever dynamics of a household looks like, but she doesn't, she stands for more than that. She sees issues within society and wants to be able to make a positive change towards that that is something that the government unfortunately hasn't decided it wants to do or haven't got the budget to do it but people like her are people that are deciding that our children deserve a better future our community deserves a better community than what we're left with and through what she's doing she's promoting change she's being the example rather than just talking about what needs to be done and that is super powerful and i'm so inspired by her and what she's done she does do more stuff that's why it's so hard to get her on here it took me three weeks to get her on here but um yeah no, that was a separate issue altogether there was some technical issues thrown in there as well because she's not tech savvy but 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 she's worth it she is worth it i have the amazing Kirsty. I'm going to let her introduce herself as she sees fit, and then we're going to discuss her first L. Hello.
1: Wow, thank you for the introduction. I like how you got the little um, dig in there, and I couldn't say anything. I just had to let you continue.
0: Technically, I could edit out anything you say, so you'll never know.
1: It's true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, what have I got myself into? Thanks, Matt, for the lovely introduction. So yeah, I think... You know, expanding on what you said, my name is Kirsty, that's always good to start. and I am a mother of two, two boys that keep me super busy with all their energy. I am currently working in the NHS and I am running or overseeing the delivery of a violence reduction programme. So as you mentioned, that's part of one of my reasons for going for that role, to be able to do more in local communities around violence reduction and supporting young people. I'm also the director of a charity called the Young Leaders Academy and we have two academies, one based in West London and one based in Lewisham. So we started off as a small charity and we've expanded and we're hoping to grow to have four academies so that was that's going to make me even more busier. But we run a leadership program for young people aged eight to 16 and they the cohort, I don't like to say cohort, but the young leaders are all from a black African or Caribbean background. And what we try to do is we aim to just highlight to our young people how brilliant they are and get them to trust that they're brilliant. And once they find the confidence and the trust in themselves that they are brilliant to go out there and show the world, that, it sounds simple but um, we do that through various different ways because for for a lot of our young people they can't see it immediately especially when there's so many people, things, organisations telling them that they're not brilliant. It's It can be really difficult for them to identify their own brilliance so we really work with them to help them identify that. I also ran another charity but I close it down because I'm just ridiculously busy now and I couldn't handle or couldn't juggle a full-time job, kids and two charities and that was called The Manden and I think that's how you and I first met through The manden and that I created that in 2018 to try and you know when you look at anytime there's an incident I'd look on social media and I'd look at the commentary and see people talking about the solutions and it was youth we need to open more youth provisions we need positive role models young people need to be off their phones too much technology so I created the man Den to bring boys and men together so that the boys had positive role models and I hired a space so that you know you've got a youth provision I chose to play board games in that space so allowing the board games to connect the boys with the men Board games are brilliant for a number of reasons. I mean, if anyone looks, if you can look into it and you can see like the health benefits and the personal benefits of simply playing board games. So it was a great tour. And we had quite a lot of success in the Mandan, but I did have to wind it down because I was doing too much. And I've all, I was also a parent governor. Again, that was to try and I, I got into that with the aim of reducing exclusions because as you know, exclusion has a direct link to violence or criminal offending. So by reducing exclusions in school, you can impact the rates of young offenders. So yeah, lots of things that I, I was doing did have done in terms of supporting young people. So that's that's my passion. That's Well, I don't, I don't even like saying it's my passion anymore. I've come to terms with that that's my purpose. So I will always, I think I'll always end up doing this kind of work.
0: Again, thank you for what you do, because for every child you've engaged with, it's life-changing, and ripple effects will be far and wide, and it's greatly appreciated. It's going to have a positive impact on society, and hopefully everyone can understand why it's taking me so long to grab you. Yeah, <laughs> And the fact I'm able to grab you three weeks on the bounce is some feat. I think she's kind of sabotaged the first two, if I'm honest, but that's, that's me. That's me.
1: (laughs) No, no, no.
0: But no, I greatly appreciate you sharing. And it's nice that people can hear the great work you've done, the great work you're doing. And we will get to a point where you can share how people can get in contact with you and stuff like that. They want us to try and support or anything like that or learn more. So, I have your first L that you want to talk about. And folks, you know how it is. I don't know anything more than what the person puts on here. Uh I have an I I let's okay, right, let's throw it out here, right? The first L that wants to be spoken about is university degree. Now I'm thinking potentially you did a university degree that's completely left of what you're doing right now, and you spent a whole heap of money, you got yourself in a whole heap student debt and you ain't going to pay off until you're like 60 or something like that I don't know I'm just being silly there feel free feel free to go back to the wherever you feel is relevant to start from and take me through that journey of why a university degree is your L
1: so no I didn't do anything way left um my, my <laughs> well it might be a little bit left but I, I studied law at university at the age of 12, I knew I wanted to be a barrister. Well, at the time, I wanted to be... Do you remember that program, Ali McBeal? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I remember seeing that.
0: So I should have said no to make you feel old.
1: <gasps> well, that... Do you know what? I used to go into schools. And I used to be like, yeah, when I was 12, I I'd watched Ali McBeal and I wanted to be a lawyer. And the children would look at me like, what? And I was like, oh my God, I forget <laughs> that. show it was on so many years ago.
0: <laughs> Yeah.
1: So I stop using that line now. <laughs> just, just say I wanted to be a lawyer. So yeah, I wanted to be a lawyer at twelve. I didn't realise the difference between solicitor and barrister back then. But as as the years went on, I found I I come to realise what the difference was. And that a barrister speaks in court, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to use my voice in court to to protect young people so again coming back to young people and the reason why I wanted to do that is because there was a an incident that occurred well I kind of heard about it my mum was talking to another friend and so I wasn't I was eavesdropping basically and she was explaining that one of their friends they had a him and his partner had had a baby and the the two were on drugs and they had put the baby in a pram and the pram collapsed. And they they were high or whatever. They weren't looking after the baby properly. And the baby died in the collapsed pram. When they did the autopsy test, the baby had an, like a high amount of cocaine in the bloodstream. Yeah. So um, I'd, I'd overheard this and I overheard my mum saying, you know, that, nothing's gonna happen like they hadn't been arrested and she was she was so angry and I would just I just couldn't understand why that you know these parents these neglectful parents were able to to get away with it like there was no justice and that really drove my whole sort of focus it was to help protect young, like children and babies from abuse and harm so I and you know and that that was a profound moment in my life that shaped all my decisions as a teenager because you couldn't you couldn't be a lawyer if you got in trouble basically so i kept out of trouble <laughs> and i focused on obtaining the qualifications that i needed to to get my degree so i studied law with the intention of qualifying as a barrister at the time when i was studying i had developed an anxiety disorder And I was in a relationship at the time with somebody who was quite emotionally harmful to me. So he was, you know, constantly putting me down. It was, you know, when you're young and you're young and dumb, as it were, and you're in these relationships that just, just aren't helpful or healthy. And there was a lot going on. And I was trying to focus on my degree. And I was really trying to, you know, push through my anxiety disorder. So, what had happened is it kind of, my, I'd always had anxiety, but it hadn't manifested itself in the way that it did until I, I went to a club one night and just randomly a guy was shouting at me in my face and As I was like, what is going on here? Like I literally just walked into the club. Within two minutes, this man's up in my face shouting at me. So I was like, okay, I'm getting out of here. As I've turned to get out, he's punched me in the back of my head. Yeah. And um so I've ran to the front of the club and him and another guy were hitting me and punching me and kicking me. So I didn't have a clue what was going on. I got out of there, but the next day. I ended up with insane sense of paranoia, like I was going to be attacked again. And every day after that attack, I was throwing up from anxiety. So my anxiety made me like physically sick. And that lasted for quite a while. And I stopped going out because every time I tried to go out, I was being sick. So like out clubbing or to social events. I managed to get through the day to continue to go to, to uni. and I I sought counselling as well to help deal with the anxiety and that really helped actually after about six months of counselling I was able to control my responses so I wasn't being sick anymore I still have anxiety but I can control it to the point where I'm not having a physical reaction every now and then I do have a physical reaction. That's the nature of a disorder. But it's a lot more under control. Whereas at that point at that time I was being sick all the time. And then my the guy that I was with at the time again, he he would trigger a lot of my anxiety. So I was constantly, you know, I went through the whole of university just dealing with this anxiety disorder that started out from that incident but continued on. For the three years, because I was in a relationship with someone who who didn't help my anxiety at all, I knew I needed a good degree level. I knew I needed for law you need at least a two one so I was trying to work really hard to get that two one and then I remember I asked a my family law lecturer to write a reference for me for law school. So after you finish your degree, if you want to be a barrister, you have to go on to law school. And I remember asking her to write this reference for me. She emailed me back and she was like she criticised the application. And she was like, oh, you, you should know that people who get a two one or a two two won't make it in in law. It's a very slim chance. So I was like, I haven't even got my results yet. I don't know why you're suggesting I'm gonna get a two two this seems a bit odd to me when I got my results I was only a couple of marks off of a 2-1 I got so I got 2-2 so that's my L because I was just like I have to live with this 2-2 now and it's going to be 10 times harder for me to get to be a barrister because it's not it's not the qualifying through the it's not the process of getting through the educational bits it's the pupillage, so there's something called a pupillage that you need to get after you've done all your, your qualifications, and it makes it harder if you have a two two degree. I think now at that point you could have still got it, but I think now a two one is the bare minimum. If you've got a two two now, nobody's going to give you an opportunity, I don't think, because that was quite was quite a while ago now that I got a university degree, <laughs> and I think things have moved on. So, yeah, I I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated when I got this 2-2. And the thing that dragged my mark down was this family law exam that I did. I remember getting an email from the family law lecturer regarding coursework. So she sent a general email out to everybody. She was like, oh, I know some of you are disappointed about your coursework marks, but don't worry things will be made up in your exam marks and I was like huh so does she know who, like what she's predicting people already it all just felt very strange and when I saw my marks and I could see that I'd done well in all the other subjects but it was that one mark my exam mark that brought me down so I got a 2-1 in my coursework but I got like a 2-2 or a third something really quite low. It was a pass still. And I was like, I feel like this woman has absolutely sabotaged me because at first she's saying, you know, oh, she'll make, she'll balance things out in from the coursework and the exams results so that people got a decent grade. That's how she intimated this email. That's that's what it made it like when I read between the lines. That's what she was saying essentially. And then when I've asked her for a reference for this application, she's saying to me, oh, you're going to get a two, like, People with two, 2 like you don't know what my grade is, and you're already saying that I'm not going to make it through because I, I'm going to have a 2 2 degree. And then lo and behold, I get a 2 2 of my lowest mark is from your class. It's just like, I was just like, I don't know. So I, I tried to complain about it. And obviously, the uni called me a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> basically in a nutshell but what I didn't do actually and what I should have done looking back at it Matt I should have just put in extenuating circumstances but I didn't want to because I was like I don't want because I was I was getting counselling for the anxiety disorder and I was a bit like I don't want to I don't want to let my anxiety anxiety be the reason that I didn't make it especially when I tried so hard to like live every day with this thing and try and overcome the difficulty of it. So I didn't put in extenuating circumstances, but had I, I think I would have got a two one. It's too late now. So that that was one of my biggest L's because I realised that I'm going to have to work twice as hard now to to be able to get a pupillage. And I felt really, that I was devastated when I realized I got a tutu I thought my whole world had come crashing down but you know I'm quite resilient and I like to just look at the bright side of life <laughs> you know that song life. Yep. it's
0: playing in my head right now
1: yeah <laughs> me too um so I was I was just like you know what I'm not going to let that stop me because there had been a number of hurdles that I'd faced before that point anyway. So even before that in secondary school, a careers advisor, because I was going to one of the worst secondary schools in my borough at the time, right? This is the place where if you were excluded from any school in the borough, they'd send you to, to our school because it just had spaces. No one wanted to go there. Willingly, anyway. Wow. So, it was in one of the worst secondary schools. And I remember seeing this careers advisor and she said, you know, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a barrister. And she was like, mm, you're going to need a plan B. I was like, what? She was like, yeah, you're going to need a plan B. You know, law is very hard to get into with someone from your background. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, well, go into state school, it's going to be very difficult for you to get into law and also you're a woman with color on your skin so that will make it even more difficult interestingly enough the careers advisor was a black woman so i was a bit like oh this is very disappointing careers advice (laughs) so it's just
0: like
1: i was just like you know what i'm not i'm not listening to this I'm, i'm i'm gonna do it anyway forget you and interestingly enough i had about Around that same time, I discovered somebody called Baroness Scotland. She was a QC at the time. She's now since a Baroness. And um, she went to a school that was local to me. And she's a mixed heritage woman. So I was like, well somebody's done it you know it could be the second third or fourth person to do it also you know them times we didn't have like internet so you you read about these things from the library I don't know if anyone knows what a library is these days (laughs) it's the place
0: people go to get free wi-fi when they run out of data
1: (laughs) right yes yes when they so they can use google in the library
0: (laughs) yeah google yeah yeah (laughs) there
1: are other search engines Um...
0: (laughs) bing (laughs)
1: It's, it's Ark Jeeves, still about?
0: Oh gosh, let's not go there.
1: Okay, let's not, let's not, let's not. Miss AOL. <laughs> com.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm sorry, folks. Walking. I'm sorry, folks. you got to understand, she's from a time when the Flintstones weren't just on TV. They were the people that she walked with and mingled with.
1: They're my neighbours.
0: I can't say so. I can't really say anything. We're probably similar age, so I, I'm going to stay still on this, right?
1: I reckon you're older than me.
0: That's offensive.
1: <laughs> is it?
0: <laughs> I'm going to take it offensively. Why are you throwing L's about here? Allow that. Because what... this is this is what
1: the show's all about, right?
0: No. So, that you talking <laughs> about your L, not throwing L's and distributing oh, them.
1: Sorry, sorry, got that bit wrong. Okay, so yeah, so so yeah. Back to to the L. Let me take back my L that I threw. So, yeah, I I was devastated when I got this ticket, And I think that that has always been my biggest L. However, it hasn't stopped me to do do anything that I wanted to do. So I didn't quite. So I I qualified as a barrister. But when it got to the time of applying for pupillage, I had my first child. So I was a bit like, well, I'm going to have to put that on the back burner. And now times have changed, and I've since trained as a mediator. So I get to do kind of what it is I wanted to do, but in a different way, and actually in a way that fits my personality more. I don't think I could do the whole cutthroat in the court thing because now I understand that there's no real there's no real solution actually by the time it gets to court. The solution is beforehand. And that's where, you know, I say my purpose is helping young people in the way that I am now. And that's hopefully not ever, you know, helping them so they don't ever end up in court. Or if they do, helping them after. Because everybody deserves a second chance. That's, that was my first biggest sell.
0: Well, it's a lot. And I appreciate you sharing it. Um, it's very heavy. Question. When did you break up with that guy?
1: I was pretty much with that person from the start of uni to the end, just before I finished uni. Yeah, to the start to the end.
0: So can I ask why you broke it off with him at the end of uni?
1: Um, because we got into an argument and he pushed me and I that was my no, 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 no. Yes, yeah, so that was my bottom bottom line with him. Once it got physical, I said, No way.
0: So how come with all the stuff that went on with you and him throughout the relationship, throughout uni, why was that never the tipping point for you to
1: I know, right?
0: No. But you kind of went through all of that and then eventually said, No, I'm done. It felt like it felt like your university experience was a lot harder than it needed to be.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely
0: and if you was able to just kind of lock it off as quick as you did well i'm not saying it was quick it probably was a lot harder than you've just made it out to be Mm. because you know three years is a long time there's habits you get into like sending people messages Mm -hmm. talking to them on a regular basis you know you know their habits and whatnot and suddenly to have that stop and have to find your new normal is very challenging but it sounds like you went through a lot through that experience you end up having this disorder you know, being punched in the back of the head for anybody is a horrible, horrible feeling. Mm. But I'm thinking of someone of your frame, that happening, who's completely blindsided. This feels like, what? And he doesn't sound like he was a very supportive or compassionate human being. So I don't understand why you would have stayed with them for any length of time beyond whatever you needed to. Um,
1: there's probably few reasons. One is being young and naive. Two, love is blind. <laughs> Three, I was trying to create a job where I could help change and transform people. You know, that's you no, know, you know, now that I'm older and you see all those things around women saying, Oh, I can change a guy. But just look at them now and laugh because I know you can't. <laughs> But that was me at that point, you know, I wanted to change him, I wanted to help him, but he was beyond saving and I really tried. That's why it took three years. Wow. You know, you know, when you can like see the good in someone and you're like, no, you're a you're nice, you, you convince yourself that they're a nice person and it just makes your threshold for tolerating, tolerating their nonsense higher because you're, you're more focusing on or trying to focus on the good things. I think lack of experience and age just kept me where I was and probably low low self-esteem and confidence at that stage of my life as well. Yeah, a number of different reasons.
0: So with your low self-esteem, do you think your career advisor contributed towards that based on the conversation you had with them? Because from a young age, 12, I want to be a barrister because of what I heard about the baby and the justice wasn't, you know, wasn't done. I want to do this. Tell me what the career path I need to get on or what, what steps I need to take to get to this career path. And they're saying, ah, oh, well, you're a woman. you got a splash of colour. You're coming from a state school. Like, not nothing, nothing positive. Just everything that's saying, these are the reasons why you're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. Do you think that contributed? potentially towards your self-esteem because i'm saying this for a couple of reasons one because of the work you do with young people as it is Mm -hmm. because you understand the importance of intervening earlier than later yeah and two because i know sometimes people can plant seeds into you and yes they may not be around to water it but other things in life in general just happen to perpetuate and to sort of nurture that doubting mindset that has been planted into you
1: yeah i think Quite the opposite. So when, because I had a couple of times when people doubted me. So even when I was in year six, I had a primary school teacher who, you know, I hadn't been attending school very regularly. I had very low attendance. And the teacher said to me, you know, if you don't come to school regularly, you'll amount to nothing. I'm like 11 or 12 years old and the teacher's already writing me off. And I remember just looking at her and thinking, I'm going to prove you wrong. And then again, with this careers advisor saying the same, when she said to me, Oh, it's going to be very hard, my initial thought was, I'm going to prove you wrong. And then with my law lecturer, when she said, People with two twos won't ever make it in law, straight away I thought, Well, I'm going to prove you wrong as well. And it wasn't ever, I never allowed anything that they said to put any doubt in my mind. I think what the reason why I had low self esteem and confidence. Is so like my home life was quite difficult. You know, it was on a very low income. So if you look at child poverty, basically, you know, when they look at the child poverty line, if you looked, if you assessed my family household, we would have been in what they would have called UK style poverty. It's very different from poverty in other countries, but we we were really really poor, and that was for various reasons. And being poor brings its own issues in terms of your confidence and your self-esteem because you're in a school and people are like looking at your clothes and your presentation and I I started working from the age of 12 like I did a paper round and I used to get on the bus at five o'clock in the morning and travel from one side of my borough to another side just to do it when I was staying at my dad's house and then I got a job in Trocadero
0: oh wow do
1: you remember that was there oh wow West End <laughs> I, I, I was working in a cafe I got a job in Trocadero so I've worked since I was 12 basically and that helped a lot because otherwise I wouldn't have had certain items of clothing like makeup you know when you get to a teenager all that kind of stuff and there were like comments that I would get I remember one comment from a girl I had very limited clothing and i heard her say to one of her friends, she's always wearing the same thing all the time. And it was it was just that, just being really self-conscious of not having much. And I had a pair of shoes that I had for so long. Luckily, my feet didn't grow quick. I was small, probably for a reason. <laughs> I didn't grow out of clothes very fast. But I had this pair of shoes that I had for so long that they had a massive hole at the bottom of them. And I remember walking with these shoes in rain, snow and everything. And um, I remember being in drama and p- crossing my feet on a chair. So my f- the bottom of my foot was then exposed. And my teacher had seen the hole in the bottom of my shoe. And the look on her face, like it just... Like, it's, it's in, my ma- in, in my brain now. That's how much it scarred me. Like, she was horrified to see what I, what I was walking in. So then I used a little bit of money that I had for my next job to get a new pair of shoes. So it was just, I think that really massively affected my self-esteem and confidence. So coming from that kind of background. And which is why I totally understand, you know, how poverty drives crime. And it's those kind of things that people don't appreciate. Yeah. Because I remember having to constantly knock on my neighbour's door to have sugar or bread. Could you borrow a fiver for my mum? Because my mum would make me, you know, I'll knock at the neighbours and get get some bread or something. Searching down the sides of the sofas for change to try and get chicken and chips. It's all those kind of things really contribute to your self-esteem and confidence so I don't think it was ever those sort of comments about you'll never make it I just think it was more my home life and the the environment that I was living in that affected that
0: it's a shame that you had to go through it but selfishly knowing the type of person you are I'm kind of grateful that it's it shaped you but not in a way that it could have shaped you if that makes sense and the fact that you allowed those negative comments to sort of fuel your endeavours to say, <laughs> I'll show you, I think that's fantastic. Not everyone possesses, not at least initially, that sort of mentality, something you have to usually develop. But potentially, if you went through what you went through at, at a young age and at home, mm-hmm. then clearly it's sort of like you had to learn to develop that otherwise when would you learn it?
1: Absolutely, yeah. If you
0: haven't already learned it already. So with with all that stuff, you'd done your university degree, you, you felt happy, you celebrated sort of thing, or was you just completely upset that you got the two?
1: I was devastated because I knew it was going to make the next few years harder, and I, you know, after coming through Sort of like that difficult home life that was already hard. I was like, oh no, more hardship. So I was devastated in that respect because I just wanted an easy life for once, you know. <laughs> I, was just like, I the easy years? <laughs> But actually, I was after I kind of got over the initial. Oh my god, it's a two-two. I was like, no, I'm really proud of myself because, you know, from the background that I had, and there was a lot more that was going on at home. I I did really really well statistically. Like, if I shared all the details about my home life, statistically, I should not be where I am today. Like, it would have been a write-off. So I I started to say, you know what, actually, I'm really proud of myself, no matter what. I'm one of the few people in my family that have a degree. And so I, I saw it as a win in that respect. But I think it was an initial L because I've just made... The career paths a lot harder for myself and I knew that I could have you know like you said had I got rid of the the horrible boyfriend at the time a lot earlier maybe things would have been different but you know that's that's not his fault it's a choice I made so it was it was processing all of that and understanding the choices that I made that weren't the right ones and adding that to the fact that you know you've got, you got to take that out now. <laughs> this is the way yeah. you are.
0: <laughs> so where, what, what would you say your lowest point was during that period of time?
1: I think the emotionally lowest point was seeing that degree result, result. But I think, you know, a lot of it was a very low point because I was hiding this anxiety disorder. So nobody knew that I was throwing up every time I was going out. I I'd, I'd learned a technique to... To vomit quietly. That's how sort of like yeah, crazy. This is gonna sound
0: really stupid, right? And I, I I don't care, this is me, right? But i'm when you say vomit quietly, I'm thinking about a little bit where you get it, and it comes up the back of your throat and you just swallow it back down. Do no, 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 that no. type of thing, it's No, it's just you actually, actually
1: Yeah, just not making any sound whilst you're vomiting. I mean that was years ago now. <laughs> but I, I learned and I learned to sort of like carry plastic bags with tissues in it. So if I needed to be, if, if I got anxious outside, I'd, I'd have a bag so I could just throw up quickly and carry on about my day and chewing gums and all that kind of stuff, you know, just it was crazy. So those whole three years were a really low point for me just because my anxiety disorder were was so grueling like it was a constant battle that I had the whole time and I'm so glad that I got counselling towards the the last year of my degree because that that enabled me to understand how my brain was wired it allowed me to understand why I was being triggered so much and it linked it back to certain things that had happened in my childhood So, once I recognized what my trigger was, I was able to manage it far better. And within six months, I'd stopped vomiting.
0: Fantastic.
1: Like, yeah. So, it was so that I think that whole time is probably one of the harder parts, apart from sort of certain parts of my childhood. But those are the things I couldn't control. As an adult, that, you know, now that things are in my own control and I can make decisions for myself that whole period of time, two and a half years, was very, very difficult.
0: During that process time, and you know, I'm I'm happy that you accepted the help of a counsellor to understand yourself better. If if you was to go back in time and talk to your younger self when you're at your lowest point, which is probably when you said you've got a two two, what do you think you would have had to have told yourself to help motivate yourself to keep going and not to let this get on top of you?
1: I would have said Get counselling sooner. Don't hide, you know the the anxiety. But I I don't you know I'm going to say oh mental health wasn't talked about back then. But there's a lot more understanding now. And I mean back when I say back then it wasn't even that long ago. You know it was what 15 years ago. But things have moved on quite a lot. So I, I think one of the one of the issues with me sort of not seeking help is that I had told. My partner at the time that i've I've got an anxiety disorder, and he just said to me, "Oh, you're pathetic." and that really made me not want to tell anyone. So I think I'd go back and tell my younger self, "You're not pathetic. <laughs> you know mental health issues are are real. there a lot of people affected by them if short term or long term. Just go and get the help you need, talk to somebody and sort it out because had I been able to sort that out in the first year of uni, the next two years may have been different and also I probably would have recognized that I was in a very unhealthy relationship a lot earlier on and I could have cleared myself of that and you know just the next two years would have been a lot easier.
0: Just to clarify, if that's not an L, what are you calling it? What part? University. The relationship. All of that period.
1: A learning curve. So it is an L because it starts with learning, starts with an L.
0: Don't have to start with an L. So... <laughs> it is what it is. An L is a loss. It's something where you just feel like that's not a W. That that's, It doesn't feel like it.
1: Well, I, so now, looking at it as well, I feel like university was a bit of a waste of time. <laughs> And I, and I would you know the whole university experience I think the social aspect is great but I would absolutely say to young people don't go to university if your chosen career path does not require you to have a university degree like business studies why do business studies when you just start a business you know I just <laughs> just start a business just just run it. You'll, you'll learn on the job. Don't, don't you know, rack, and especially looking at how much degrees cost now. It's phenomenal. Thankfully, there's a lot more apprenticeship schemes. I absolutely recommend it. And I also felt like it took a very long time for me to secure a semi-decent job after university so you're like 21 22 and all your friends that left school and got a job straight away they're managers now they've got a nice car they've got their own house and you you're just like still eating beans on toast because you've just come out of uni it's just
0: (laughs) they're well established and you're starting off at junior level
1: yeah like you leave uni and I was still what was my first job out of uni I can't even remember but you're still working you know I think during uni I was working in retail I I was selling curtains (laughs) um oh that was it I I was working in a gym so you know you're like you've got a law degree and you're working in a gym it's not that a gym working in the gym is absolutely fine and you know I really enjoyed that job actually you you essentially want to go to uni to do the thing that you've got the degree for so that's the only that's the only issue that I had with Coming from getting a law degree to work in it, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. But in terms of actually the work, you know, actually I was probably earning more than most junior lawyers. <laughs> so
0: it's, I think it, it's a valid point, though, isn't it? If you're going to go universities, invest so much time—not you know—not just the monetary side of it, but also your time, your energy, your efforts, relocating, and whatever else. Yeah, and then to come out with a hefty bit of debt to get a job that you could have got without the degree
1: exactly you kind of feel point. like
0: oh what's the point because I need to be earning x amount of money to justify having y amount of debt
1: yeah and I think you know our generation if you're in my generation or that generation wow. <laughs> I don't know how old you are remember. <laughs> our generation, less that, I'll less include that. you Matt for now because <laughs> I don't know how old you are <laughs> Our generation, Matt, was really sold the sort of labour dream of everybody should go to university, you'll have a great job at the end of it, you know, the u- university is the way to go. And then you get there and you do it, and you're like, mm, no, I didn't I didn't need this for the jobs that I'm getting now, you know? Now eventually the jobs that I am in, they require a degree. So I'm grateful to have my degree now. But at the same time, experience can amount to a degree so that's why I would say to young people now unless your chosen career path absolutely needs you to have a degree don't do it <laughs> Don't do it.
0: well I appreciate you sharing that because not everyone has that has access to people who've gone through what you've gone through to be able to say whether or not it's the right thing or not to do but yeah just just to uh, wrap up on what you said there about the university side of it it reminds me of a conversation I think I have said in a previous episode where if your family's from a country that's not the UK, more times than not, they'll tell you to study hard, go into higher education, get a job that lasts you for 35, 45 years. Rare, rare, rare. But they never did that. They, they hustled hard when they were in their home country. They punted and came over here by hook or by crook. Then they did whatever job possible. And let's be honest, they had more than one child, which I, if if you're working like minimum wage or below minimum wage in them days, how are you having more than one child? That do not make no sense to me. But they did it. They backed themselves. They did it. And then they come to us and say, yeah, don't do what I did. Do this. But you've seen the world. You've experienced a whole heap of stuff. And that's kind of proof what you said. That you don't necessarily have to get a degree per se. You can sometimes get the experience that that sort of shows that you can do it. And that's why, for those that don't know, if you're listening, after a while on your CV, it doesn't make a difference what grades you got because when you get to a certain age, whether you can read or write is neither here nor there because you've exist you've lasted this long <laughs> with your skill sets. So you should be able to navigate that going forward anyway. But yeah, well, I appreciate that, and it's yeah, I'm glad to hear that you're able to use your university degree in what you're doing, and the way you're using it is super powerful. And I'm so happy that other people are able to benefit from it. So thank you. Let's go on to your second L, which is because you forgot maternity leave, and yeah. the, after hearing the first L, I'm starting to think yeah, that's probably because you don't. Know, you was getting yourself all lined up, going for your, I forgot the word now, pupillage.
1: Pupillage.
0: I was so close, I was so close. So close. But so far away. And you got pregnant, and it's like, oh, well, I I can't do that. And then my head, because I don't know, I can't remember the age gap between your boys, but I'm thinking, what if it's going to mess me up, I might as well just knock out a second one as well, because I want to have at least two. That's my head. What you're going to tell me is facts. So please tell me from the top.
1: So it wasn't really the maternity leave that was out. I just experienced the, you know, and I think millions of women would may have experienced the same thing. I'm imagining, I'm guessing. What I experienced is being a woman and getting pregnant when you're in a job. So after I managed to get something vaguely remoted to law, I was working in an insolvency firm, And um, when I went for an interview at this firm, one of the interview questions was, are you planning on getting pregnant anytime soon? And I was like, now, again, I was young, so I didn't realize that that was a discriminatory question. Very much so. (laughs) I was just like, no, I don't think so. They asked that question because they recently had, you know, three or four women who had had babies and had gone off on maternity leave. So they were checking that I wasn't going to do the same. Anyway, at the time, I didn't realise that, you know, that is a big no-no. So I was in that job for about three years and I fell pregnant. And that's when things started to get a bit ugly with the company. Now, one of the first things that happened is so I wasn't I was engaged to my partner I wasn't married and one of the partners in the firm was aware of this I was working just a little bit late there was another employee in the room with me and he came in to drop off some papers that he had signed and he said to me are your parents happy that you're rearing a bastard Matt here I am with my pregnant belly and I was like what and he said, are your parents happy that you're rearing a bastard? And I was like, they don't care. They're happy to have a grandchild. And I just, I just started to see how I was going to be treated from there on in. So I went on maternity leave. And before I went on maternity leave, I had used my annual leave to do a month. Because I wanted to work right up until a week before my due date because I, I had read that you know you want to get as much time with the baby rather than sort of like have a month off before and then you know your baby might not even come because you get a due date right you so you have a month off before your due date and you still might have two weeks <laughs> that eats into six weeks of your 52 weeks of leave if you take the fourth um year right so I um so I wanted to work right up until my due date because I to set it for the week before my due date. Fingers crossed that the baby wouldn't sort of try to escape me whilst at work.
0: Escape me? What a way of just just putting
1: it. I mean, that's what they do, right? They they escape you.
0: No, they're bored.
1: They escape you. It's an escape womb. Oh wow. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, I worked right up until the end. And the the month before, I was like, okay, because I'm working right to the end, I do want to have some time to slow down. So I think it was even a six, six weeks or a month beforehand, I took a day off every week to use up my annual leave. So I knew I could work four days a week. The company didn't burn to the ground. So I was like, okay, this is good. I can work four days a week. So when maternity leave came to an end... I had asked to go back to my employment. And I, whilst I was actually in the company before my maternity leave, no, so when I first started, actually, there was a, as I had mentioned, there was a number of women who had left to go on maternity leave. One of them had come back and asked to come back to work, but to work reduced hours, so work three days a week the company denied her and i remember seeing her sort of like crying in the office saying oh, i can't come back to my job things are going to be difficult but they point point blank refused her so um i when i re- applied i was like okay i need to know how i can come back part time so i spoke to the partners in the firm i was like i, I don't want to come back full time because i want to raise my child i don't want a nursery too Like I want some say in how my child is raised. I want to come back three days a week. They said no. So I did the formal request and I sought some advice from a, a lawyer and they were like, well, you know, business needs. There's a caveat with these requests that the business that gets to decide what its needs are and whether you can fulfill it. And I was like, well, at least let me do four days a week because when I did it for six weeks prior to my maternity nothing bad happened like let me do four days a week they still refused so I went from having a a, you know a a decent paying job going on maternity leave and not having a job to go back to and I never expected that so that's why I say maternity was my L but actually it was probably the company that was in (laughs) that's my biggest L but had I not gone on to maternity I want to face these issues. So then I had to resign from that job because they refused to take me back part time. I tried to put in a claim of victimization from that comment that the partner made. But I had found out that, you know, you have to make a claim of victimization within a short period of time. So it's within three months from when you're victimized. So I couldn't even do that. So I had to leave that job. To be fair, it's a little bit toxic, but you know, when you've had a baby, you need security and all that kind of stuff. So you go back to it for a while. And then I found myself, and this is the L map for me, in the job centre. And I was like, how the hell did I get here after qualifying as a barrister? I'm in the, so you're in the job centre and they're like, oh, you know, what are your qualifications? I'm a train barrister, do you have any of those jobs? No, but we can get you a job in Waitrose. And you're like, help me, help me. And they're like, if 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 you don't go for these interviews for Waitrose and Tesco's, then we're not going to l- let you sign on. And you're just like, but well, I, I would like a job.
0: In, in what I've actually studied for, do yeah, have... and qualified for.
1: Or anything, you know, anything vaguely resembling advice, you know, research, any anything of degree level, but they didn't have those. And it was just, it was awful because it was everything I didn't want in my life. But it was a hugely humbling experience. And because one of the reasons why I did, really didn't want that in my life, because like I said to you, my childhood, you know, I'd faced a lot of poverty. My mum was on benefits and um, she'd also had suffered postnatal depression after she had one of my siblings I was about 9 or 10 and while she was in sort of like her postnatal depressive stage I would have to go at the age of 9 and do the the shopping for the family and my mum would give her me her book so you used to get a book back then to get the benefits from the post office and I remember being in the line of the post office waiting to get these benefits for my mum's so like well to get the shopping for my mum before I went home and I was like I don't want this to be my life forever standing in the post office waiting for your money to go and get some food I was like this 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 is not the life of me so when I got to the job center to sign on for the first time I was like everything that I worked hard for when I made that decision in that that day when I was standing in the post office queue I'm basically here like this is this is the one thing that's why I took the job at twelve, fourteen, fifteen. Like I worked from twelve years old upwards because I didn't ever want to be in that position. But it was maternity leave that took me to that place. For me, that's how I saw it anyway. So that's why I would say it's my biggest L.
0: That's unfortunate and it's horrible. You go to work for a law firm and they're just disregarding the actual laws that are in place to protect people by asking you inappropriate questions. And what makes it even more bizarre is today, I actually had a conversation with someone who told me about how they didn't take paternity leave because of fear of how it would impact their career. Mm-hmm. I actually said to them, like, I get it because I've taken shared parental leave for my firstborn and my twins. And that technically has had an impact because I've had people say in my current job that I'm taking a career break. I was like, no, I'm not. Mm. I was like, but I had a career break. No, 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 I'm not having a career break. This is shared parental leave. But that's too long to say. Yeah. You wouldn't say it to a woman who's pregnant, she's taking a career break because, you know, the next conversation you're going to have is with HR. So that shouldn't be any different with me. Mm. You know, but the reality is that people will say things that are inappropriate, unfortunately. Mm. And unless you call them out on it, they will continue to do it. it even if you do call them out, they'll still kind of victim blame in that situation because the conversation i was having with that same individual was that i worked with a girl who was coming to my office and she got asked by the manager do you have a boyfriend and she's like no i said oh good because i want you to get pregnant <laughs> no so no good so it means you won't get pregnant soon it's incredible and these things will keep being done and go under the radar and no one calls it out and i'm very upset to hear stuff like that. god I'd hate for anyone to say up to my daughter I'd hate for it to be said to anyone I mm. care about or anyone I'm, anyone that's capable of having a child. This, that's just not appropriate. Yeah. And it's hurtful because what it sounds like is you took the job, you know, you're loved up. What you do in your own time is what you do in your own time. It's no one else's business but your own. Then between you and your other half, you decide, let's go, you, or have it happen, it happened. You'd want them to at least be supportive of you, not saying I want you to congratulate me mm. or do anything. Outside of the normal, but just be happy for me. Yeah. Then you want to come down and then you're trying to talk smack about my unborn child mm-hmm. and you're talking about my parents. Like, why do you need to know anything about my parents? What, what, you pay me to do your work. Yeah. Outside of that, your opinion doesn't belong here.
1: Yeah.
0: How did you react to it and did you tell your partner?
1: Yeah, I did. My, so the 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 colleague that was in the room with me was like i heard everything if you need somebody to support you in court because he was he was absolutely mind mind blown that that was said to me and you know when you're just in a state of shock i was just like what the hell but again i was i was i was 25 so I was relatively young still not knowing how the world really works and i just i was like there's nothing i can do about this because he's a partner in the firm like he's a top top boss you know there's there was four or five partners you're one of the top guys me saying something about this it's not going to have any you know they're going to they're going to put it on me not him so i didn't feel i felt powerless in, in that situation and i remember going in the car because also when i fell pregnant it's gonna sound strange but I had read like an excerpt from a book called how to how to give birth to a god right so it talks about how to nurture the baby from the womb so everything you eat everything you read everything you hear smell taste touch it all feeds into the baby that you're creating so I made sure that I didn't listen to anything in the car that had like I listened to classical music the whole nine months there was no other music for me I changed my diet completely I you know I did all these things to ensure that I was (laughs) giving birth to a god obviously not a literal god but you know giving the best to your baby so when I've been working all this way to like shield my child my unborn child from those kind of comments and then this I don't want to swear but this guy comes in and calls my unborn child a bastard I left the office and I got in my car and I cried and I cried and I cried and I called my partner and I said this this is what's happened he's like calm down don't drive just yet and I, I was literally in the car for half an hour just crying my eyes out because I was so upset I had to say no 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 this is not good for the baby you know (laughs) stop crying don't stress gather my thoughts obviously you're more emotional when you're you're pregnant anyway so I think that had (laughs) that played a part in it as well but I pulled myself together and I was like no I'm going to any all the words that came into my system all the feelings that came into my system from that interaction i'm going to rid myself of it so it doesn't touch my baby it doesn't impact my baby and i kind of processed it out of me that of my body that way but i was i was so angry and upset Matt. i just yeah i started putting very bad vibes out into the into the um ether for him
0: to be honest (laughs) i i i get it it's more times than not people will say things like that to you and I, I say it as a black guy who's had microaggressions being said about me and stuff like that. And having people say to me, oh, nay no, you know what mum feels like. What does that mean? I, I didn't, wasn't making any comparison. I'm just here looking after my babies. Let me just do me. But people say things and it's all like, I don't want to have to justify what I do or do not do or what my dynamics of my household looks like. And, Why are you putting your mouth on my children for? Just keep that to yourself. And you do what you have to do, ultimately. But when something like that happens, it makes you question a lot of things. Because in theory, it sounds like you've been extremely loyal to them. You gave 100% to them. And all you needed for them to do is, while there was a change happening in your life, you just need something to remain the same, for as long as it could because your hormones are where they are or, or wherever they are all over the gaff. But also, you know, there's a change in the dynamics between you and your partner now because of the newborn that's coming in. And you're just saying, work, well, just stay put, just be here when I get back. And then if anything needs to change, I'm already going to get anxious about it because one, I'm going to leave my baby and I'm not used to that. Two, I've got a return turn to work and I'm worried about how am I going to deal with the limited hours I have with my child how am I going to finance child care if I have to put them in childcare at this point and all the other bits and pieces you don't need to add the stress of them just being that blunt with you and not trying to cooperate with you did any of this did it did it flare up your anxiety, um, your anxiety disorder
1: no it didn't actually thankfully I, I was kind of pragmatic but you know what even so I would say that being in sort of like the job centre was one of my biggest L's. But them letting, not letting me go back there actually became such a powerful and important thing for me. It was really empowering. Because what I was then able to do, I was able to find something that suited me and to find an organisation or a job that embraced families and was happy that I had children. And, you know, it actually created a path for me for a number of amazing job opportunities. So, you know, at the time, it felt like the hardest thing. Like I was robbed of something, I was denied something, but it was an absolute game changer in terms of where my career trajectory went thereafter. So, you know, and that's the thing with like your L's at the time, they feel so, you know, you feel desperate. You feel like nothing is going right. Everything is super hard, but actually they then become the thing that makes you and changes your life completely. So for every, every other little L. You know the sort of degree part and this part of my life. I'd say are probably the two biggest. It's been the game changer for me.
0: That's positive. So it's for the sounds of it, and I'll I'll use a gym analogy because you used to work there, and it it sounds like the weight of it all. Instead of it just weighing you down, it then became what helped you to become stronger, to get you to a better place. And being at work and experiencing what you did at that particular job helped you to cut the strings because they're already cutting the strings. You thought no, I'm going to do it myself. this is not what I want to be in. You go to a job set up I don't want to be here because this reminds me of my childhood, and you realize what I do want to do is be doing what I study to do, and I don't want to work for a company that doesn't celebrate or try to help me have a work life balance that makes sense.
1: yeah yeah, absolutely so it 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 really empowered me to say there's so many options out there. You can absolutely get what you want. And I was in that sort of phase stage where I looked at everything as, if it's not what I want, I'm not going to go for it. And, you know, I was able then, so I've never actually, I've not gone back to law, to be fair. My career path has taken me down a completely different route like I've gone back to mediation and I'm just I'm so grateful like I've had some amazing jobs worked with some amazing people and they've been and they've been purposeful jobs they've been working with young people helping them to support their dreams and their aspirations and it's just like I, I people say to me how do you do so much it's because it doesn't feel like work you know if your work feels like you, can't, you don't want to wake up in the morning to go to work. I absolutely love waking up in the morning to do all the things that I do. It's hard. It's tiring. And I'll moan about it every so often. But actually, it doesn't feel like a lot in that sense. It only feels like a, a lot in terms of actual practical day-to-day things, like trying to get all the things done in, in the short amount of time. That feels stressful. But in terms of like job satisfaction, I love everything that I do there is not a day that I don't want to do it which is why I work six days a week <laughs> so you know it's like people are like how do you do it it's because I love it when when you love something you will do it as much as you you physically can
0: 100% with that I, I fully get that I I think anything you can lose yourself in that is a passion and it, it it's sort of like I could lose myself doing podcasts not the talking part because I like to replenish what I give out in conversations but I can lose myself in editing and designing and doing other creative things but because I, I like it and I like trying to help people to be a better version of themselves and to not feel alone in how they're feeling and experiencing stuff but just being able to go down a rabbit hole going oh I'm into this and I'd suddenly you know hours would go by and I feel like oh I you done like a fraction of what I want to do because I'm so in love with the process it's not always about the destination for me
1: yeah and it's not even losing yourself in it in fact you're finding yourself in it true that that's you know it's it's, it's both it's losing yourself and finding yourself at the same time
0: very true there was something I was, I've been saying to a few people recently and I don't know I'll, I'll put it out there because it's in my head and why not it's the fact that growing up Kids can be brutal. Kids will pick on you for being different. And after a while, you'll just bury that thing that makes you different just so that you assimilate with everyone else around you for the less resistance in life. And then you might hit your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your whatever. And you're not fulfilled. And then you realise you have to, I guess, rediscover yourself and, and, you know, dig up all that stuff that you buried away rediscover this is who you are dust it off wash it off rinse it off whatever you've got to do to just make it shine again and then you rediscover your purpose your reason for being who you are and accepting it but if we can kind of nurture that and teach us ourselves to enjoy the person we are i'm of the opinion i guess it's part of the jo- joys of being a creative in this aspect there's i don't think there's any unique ideas anymore there might be a unique delivery of that idea, but there's not a unique idea anymore because it's always influenced by something else and something else and something else. And someone's done it, but they haven't done it the way you've done it. They haven't had access to people you've got access to. Yeah. And I think that's where, if we can understand that aspect of life, we'll be in a much better place to say, the things I've been teased about is the thing I should be bragging about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You you know, that. The idea of nothing is new, even in a sort of like literacy concept, they say that there's only ever seven stories. So, seven types of stories, but people tell the same thing in a different way. And that's how we have so many books, right? So, I I, I completely agree with you in, in that respect. And it's about having your own, you know, they call it a USP, unique selling point. For me, actually, I wasn't, I think what really helped me get through most of what I've gone through in life is I didn't have that angst about fitting in I was happy to be the rebel the odd one out like I I just you know it it's never bothered me I've never craved fitting in or being accepted obviously I had that sort of like low self-esteem and confidence issues but I masked that so well like you would never have known (laughs) It was like a, an inner demon. But I used to, you know, do all the talent shows, the plays. I was I was proper teacher's pet. I'd get to school early in the morning to say good morning to the teachers. People used to cuss me. I did not care. You know, I was just like, I just don't care about the people. I don't know what it is about my DNA or personal makeup. I don't know who I get it from. But I absolutely didn't have that part of me and I think that's what really helped me get through a lot of what I've I've been through actually.
0: I love that do you think there's anything you tell your younger self at your lowest point during that period to help push through?
1: Do you know what I don't I don't think so because I have always been determined and resilient the only thing I might have te- myself is that you can share what is happening like don't keep it all to yourself I think that's the only thing that I would want to change is being open and telling people what was going on because a lot of everything that happened I hid very 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 well to the point where when I was in school I was like the golden child and my brother was exhibiting behaviors that actually really represent what was represented what was going on at home. So he got excluded really early from school. So he was in year nine and got excluded. And he was disruptive in class. All sorts were happening with him. And everyone would be like, Why can't you be like your sister? But actually he was showing you there's issues at home. But because I masked it so well as the golden child, nobody looked. It was a him problem. It wasn't a your home is outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> we need to support yeah. you because I I absolutely hid everything and managed it so well. So I don't think I don't think I'd say anything to help me get through those times because I think actually I've got I got through them. But I could have asked for a bit of help, you know. I didn't have to be in it alone. And there were times when I did sort of tell people some things, but I was very protective of what I, of what I was telling people in case like social services got involved in our family and split up our family and blah blah blah. So that's why I tried to present that everything was okay, because I didn't want that to happen as well. So yeah, I don't, to be honest, I'm at a stage, I got to a stage very early on in my young adult life where I processed a lot that happened to me. And I see everything as enabling me to grow to be the person I am. So I wouldn't want to go back and say to my younger self, do it like this, do it like that, because actually, that would change the course of time and I wouldn't be who I am today.
0: Yeah. I guess like, I, I'm there with you. I don't, you know, as much as there's some things I I cringe so hard about. I would I would not want to give up the life I have now, but I'm sure there are there are things I'd probably say to myself uh, around certain situations to say, yo, just handle it this way, or mm. your mindset should be uh, like this. It's not personal. It's only you know, it's only for a season, just hold tight, it will pass. In the grand scheme of things, it's it's a bit like Mm. when it's raining, you're so vexed because you had plans that evening and you're seeing the rain go sideways, you're like, why is it raining? Yeah. But then, it only, it's sort of like a downpour for all of half hour. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the sun's back out, it dries up. Yes, folks, in England, that's what happens. We have all four seasons in one day. And, you know you're stressed over what nothing yeah and most of the times when it pours down with rain that's the time i run from the shop to the car and from the car to the shop i'm drenched and then when i'm in the car or in the shop it's like it's dry again why did i run yeah. if i just waited out yeah. <laughs> chances are i would have been all right yeah so it, it it's 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 mad and i appreciate you sharing what you share because it is a lot and the question i will ask yourself and i think i know the answer are you proud of yourself for how you handled those
1: situations yeah sure answer (laughs) I am um yeah absolutely and I think I I was I allowed the situations to show me a new path because sometimes you can get so wrapped up in the problem you don't see the solution and I think I've become very good at being solution focused and seeing every single problem as an opportunity to find a solution so I definitely am proud of myself um, in that respect. And yeah, like I said, I won't change anything.
0: So you're proud of the person that you've become after enjoying all those things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's still always growth. So I can't be 100% proud of myself because in 10 years time...
0: Well, I didn't say that. Yeah. I just asked if you're proud of yourself. I like, don't take it there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm proud of where I've come so far. there's there's still ways to go.
0: Definitely. and Many more chapters.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So here's to the many more.
0: Thank you very much for jumping on and sharing all that you have. It's always nice to hear from different people. And I I say this, I can't speak for other people, but I'd like to think people could look at you and in whatever capacity they see success is, they could see you as being a successful woman. And to see someone in your capacity share what you shared, not only shows that, yes you can get there in the capacity you're in but you can have a background like that have situations like that that you have to endure and still potentially get to where you are if you just don't give up and i think that's really really important we see the celebrities we see the people on the tvs the influencers whatever and we think that's their life of, you know I just got need to add a filter to my life, and and for me, the only filter you can add to life is just changing your mindset. That's the closest thing you're going to get to it. And by doing it, similar to what you know, what you said about how you didn't let people put you down, you're like, no, nope, I'm going to push on. I'm going to prove to you that was your way of dealing with it. And I've had another guest who, Agnes, her, her story was something I didn't ever expect. If you tell her she can't, you can't do so, she will do it. And I said it reminded me of a train, like a steam train. And I said, you're picking up the logs and you're throwing it in the fire or you're getting a coal and you're putting in the fire. But I said, some of the stuff that's in your life that has always been there, you suddenly learn that you can use that as something to add to the fire. So all of a sudden, she's not like, oh, I can't touch that because it's a fixture. She's like, nope, that's going. And it's just like, so why do we harbor on, like hold onto these things that hurt us or remind us of painful memories? Well, we can say, why not just use that to fuel my desire to improve my situation to get from where I am to where I'm going I'm a very long way of saying that. I do apologize, but I get a bit passionate here. Get definitely yeah. passionate here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's about sort of focusing on the solutions rather than the problem. Indeed. And a lot of the time, I, I, you know, in the work that I'm doing, I see a lot of problem focus mentality. It's the problem is so big. The problem is so big. It's here. It's you know, I can't get past it. But actually. As soon as you find the solution, the problem becomes, it's gone. And we can get caught up in the emotional attachment to the, pro- the problem as well.
0: I think people are just that way because news is all about negative stuff. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: with, with people always having a problem, they're creating jobs supposedly.
1: And I think a lot of the time as well, actually, your pa- when you're growing up, your parents don't share problems with you. Nope. They'll shield you from them. So then you're never able to develop or see a modelling of problem-solving behaviour unless it's just practical things. So all the big life problems, they'll keep from you because they don't want to hurt you. They don't want you to feel, you know, things are going wrong because obviously they're emotional. They don't want to transfer that to you. But actually, it does our children a disservice when we... Shield them too much from these things because they'll never be able to model problem solving real life events. Okay, they can problem solve how to fix the washing machine. Great. But actually, when when it comes to the big the big things, they need to see you go through the stress and the strain, but also see you say, Okay, well, actually, this is difficult now. It's not going to be like this for a long time, it's going to be hard for a while because this is what's happening. So uh, yeah, I'm going to be stressed. I'm going to be, you know, anxious or whatever, but it will pass and you will see that soon. And you share that with them and they can see the modeling of that behavior. And I think that's why it's its, it's probably not even social media half the time. It's our parents thinking that they're doing us, you know, they do it out of love. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's just, you're just shielding us from learning how to deal with life's problems basically
0: yeah you think you're teaching us how to navigate life but you're hiding what what the roadmap to life actually looks like
1: Uh, yeah absolutely
0: which is unfortunate i appreciate it so for the next couple minutes if you could share shamelessly anything and everything about you what you got going on how people can reach you yeah, go for it.
1: You know I'm going to plug uh, the academies. So the Young Leaders Academy, Westside and Lewisham Young Leaders Academy.
0: Stop doing gang signs. <laughs> the,
1: the, well, L, you know, a W and L, so fit in for this programme, right? Got a win and a loss. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so, so the Westside and Lewisham Academies, we are a small charity that have been running for eleven years now, twelve, almost twelve years. We always need people support. We are a small team. We rely solely, on, in the main, on volunteers. Any anybody that wants to, you know, we welcome new volunteers for all different aspects, either admin or helping young people on the Saturdays. And we also really appreciate financial support because then that enables enables us to do so much more for our young people. The majority of the time, for the past nine years, we were 100% volunteer-led, so including the directors of the organisation. We've only just sort of achieved some level of funding where some people can get paid a, a small portion. So that's, we are all, you know, really passionate and driven about what we do for our young people. So if there are like-minded people, you can find us on the good old internet. Our website is com, and then it's the same for Jewish, but with an L at the beginning and not a W. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and all the information will be in the show notes folks so you can check it there
1: absolutely
0: great stuff well thank you very much for coming on sharing what you did did not know any of that stuff about you and i think it just goes to show that we as much as we try to say that we don't judge people we do is we're we born to sort of do that mm. we're nurtured into doing that and you just assume everyone's got it held together because they're just that way inclined but clearly from what you have shared, it just says that not everyone's come from what the TV, what society portrays as a standardised household of everyone's got it all together. Everyone's got money in the bank. Everyone's got money to keep the roof over their head and not stressing about things. When realistically, you have no idea until you take time to get to know the individual you're engaging with. And what I'm happy to hear is the fact you went through situations, but you didn't go it alone. You had you had support because you asked for help and you accepted the help and you didn't let things get on top of you, which I I am super inspired by. And I love how, even though you've done all the stuff that you've done in the past and you've experienced, you still have that burning desire to help people. You're paying it forward. And that is something that, I've loved what you've done from years ago when we first met, and I, you know, even now when I've got my children, it's even more important for me because it's like it's nice to know there are good people out there trying to create a better world for people. I thank you so much for being who you are, for doing what you do, and I just I love seeing you win, and I just want you to keep doing it and keep doing the best you can. So, listeners, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. It one I. Kind of look forward to for a while now yes it's been a few months but it's it for me it's well it's so worth it and she's an incredible human being please reach out and contact her and see what she's doing reach out to the charities that she's part of if you can help in any capacity please do because it will go a long way and you know many hands make light work so thank you very much enjoy the rest of whatever you're doing and just you know from this whole s- Episode: You can see that your right now is not your forever, and there's nothing about a caterpillar it's gonna be a butterfly. Take care of yourself.